0: praying that you'll be really blessed and that God will speak into your heart as we take this journey together. So please go ahead and hit the subscribe button to keep updated with the very latest sauntering podcasts. Good morning beautiful saunterers Welcome to another sauntering day In my bird song filled garden (laughs) Great to be with you And we are looking at Luke chapter 4 today So let's pray Holy Spirit we welcome you into our homes Into our lives We want you to speak to us And just make your word come alive to us today In Jesus name Amen. Fantastic. So Luke chapter 4 today. And we have got this monumental chapter, which is such a big reveal and opening um, of Jesus's ministry as uh, as portrayed by Luke. And so I'm going to read. So Luke chapter 4 says, And Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan, And was led by the Spirit in the wilderness for 40 days, being tempted by the devil. And he ate nothing during those days. And when they were ended, he was hungry. I should think he was. The devil said to him, if you are the Son of God, command this stone to become bread. And Jesus answered him, it is written... it is written, You shall worship the Lord your God, and Him only shall you serve. Good morning, Alison and Fran. Great to see you guys. And so, Jesus, here we go. He's just been baptized by John. We saw the Spirit come down on him in the form of a dove. And we know, and then God the Father spoke from heaven and said, This is my beloved Son, in whom I'm well pleased. It was this big moment. The Holy Spirit is now kind of officially on Jesus although clearly the holy spirit was on Jesus from day 1 um <laughs> but then he's now in the power of the holy spirit it's kind of worthy of note or, or Luke says he's full of the holy spirit and he returns from the jordan and then the holy spirit leads him into the wilderness and that seems to me quite a helpful and interesting Um, statement because it was that God was leading Jesus into the wilderness now let's just quickly flick back to Deuteronomy chapter 8 and um, Moses is taking the people of Israel back through their history and he says and you shall remember verse 2 Deuteronomy 8 verse 2 says you shall remember the, the whole way that the Lord your God has led you these 40 years in the wilderness that he might humble you testing you to know what was in your heart whether you would keep his commandments or not and he humbled you and let your hunger and let you hunger sorry and fed you with manna which you did not know nor did your fathers know that he might make you know that man does not live by bread alone but by every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. Good morning Sally and so this is really fascinating so There's this incredibly strong parallel between these two things. So the Israelites spent 40 years in the wilderness, but it says that God led them. The whole time they were there, God was leading them. We remember the pillar of cloud. It would move and they would move. The pillar of fire moved and the Israelites moved. They literally up pulled up their whole camp. Oh, yes, Fran. Hold on. I haven't done 4G. One second. I'm just going to do that. Uh, Sorry about this. Right, 4G. I should have done that before. I do apologise. And so there's this clear parallel between the Israelites being led by God in the wilderness and Jesus being led by the Holy Spirit into the wilderness and it's the same kind of purpose the the wilderness exposes what is in our hearts whether we're going to love God and serve God or not and it's It's kind of not for God's benefit because he knows how we're going to do and how we're going to come out from the wilderness. But it's for our benefit and it's also for the benefit of the angels and the spirit beings who are watching us. And it's also for the benefit of people around us who are kind of reviewing our faith and trying to decide whether it's something they want to invest their lives in or not. And they see us go through challenging times and how we are in that time speaks incredibly about the work of God in our hearts now sadly people sometimes don't make it through the wilderness and it just becomes a place where they are defeated but there's this this uh, God I believe has faith in us that what he's begun in us is going to succeed even through the most difficult times and challenging times and so He says, anyway, so then the devil comes to him in the middle of the wilderness and he's hungry. He's been 40 days without food or I don't know if it's right on the last day all these things happen or just leading up to the last few days. But then comes this showdown with the devil. And it's like he waits till Jesus is very tired, very vulnerable, very weak. And he knows that Jesus is the son of God. He says, if you're the son of God. Well, he knows he's the son of God, but he also knows that he's fully human and he knows enough about human nature to know when to strike and what kind of temptations to come in with. He's very, very, very crafty and good at his job, but he's a liar and a deceiver and a thief and all he ever wants to do is steal and rob from people. And he wants to do the very same with Jesus. And he thinks, ha ha, I've got you now. You're weak, you're vulnerable, you will cave into me. And so he pulls out his finest stunts, if you like, for the Son of God. And he says, he says this, all the kingdoms of the world, I'll give you all of this authority if you will just bow down to me. I'll give it to you. If you worship me, I'll hand it all over to you. Now, what he's saying there is actually technically accurate. That Adam handed over the sovereignty and the rule that God gave him to govern the earth by succumbing to the devil's temptations. And so technically the devil was in control and had this authority over these kingdoms, over the kingdoms of the world. And so he's offering Jesus a nifty shortcut. Jesus doesn't say it doesn't belong to you. He doesn't argue with him. He says, actually, he quotes the scripture and he says, you shall worship the Lord your God and him only shall you serve. So he doesn't even negotiate. He just comes, bam, straight back with a right hook from the scripture and smacks the devil right in the chops. And then verse 9, it says, and he took him to Jerusalem and set him on the pinnacle of the temple and said to him, if you're the son of God, again, calling into question his identity. The devil will always call into question your identity. Has God said, are you this? You know, what? man, if you're a child of God, then how come this is happening? If you're a child of God, if God loves you, how come this is happening? And so on. And he says, if you're the son of God, throw yourself down from here, for it is written, he will command his angels concerning you to guard you. And on their hands they will bear you up lest you strike your foot against a stone. Trust me, the devil knows the Bible. He knows the scripture and he can twist it and quote it and bring it just at that point where all we need is a stick to beat ourselves with. He will hand it to us where what we want is a loaded gun to shoot ourselves in the head he will hand it to us and sometimes it will be in the form of scripture and he'll say well you know where it says in the bible and we have this kind of internal dialogue going on where we've got the scripture that says this and we think oh well I'm failing then I'm a disaster and I might as well die now you know and all this kind of thing So he's very, very crafty and very sneaky and we just need to be aware that he will use the scripture to condemn us and hit us over the head. And so he quotes these scriptures to Jesus and Jesus answered him, it is said you shall not put the Lord your God to the test. So yes, God could protect me in a crisis in this kind of event but not when i'm voluntarily throwing myself off the temple to provoke him he's not going to do that that's not how it works he's not he's not like he doesn't do party tricks although he did turn water into wine which was a pretty good party trick but that's a, another story <laughs> and okay so here we go and jesus answered him it is said you it is they said you shall not put the lord your god to the testament The devil had ended every temptation. He departed from him until an opportune time. So what did he say? Sorry, the first one he said, turn these stones into bread. That was the first temptation. Well, obviously Jesus is hungry. He could do that, but would defeat the purpose of fasting if he was to sneakily make himself a snack. Um, And so Jesus, Jesus literally quotes to him from that scripture in Deuteronomy, man shall not live by bread alone. So the first one he counters with, Man shall not live by bread alone. Second one, you shall worship the Lord your God and him only shall you serve. The third one, he says, you shall not put the Lord your God to the test. He doesn't enter into a long discussion. He just smacks him around the chops with the scripture and moves on. Anyway, there we go. So Jesus wins that one. Ding, ding. Round two. And it says, it's interesting... It says, Jesus answered him, you shall not put the Lord your God to the test. Verse 13, and when the devil had ended every temptation, he departed from him until an opportune time. So he didn't, he wasn't thinking, I'm going to leave Jesus alone. He's beaten me. He's just thinking, I'll come back. I'll I'll get a better strategy up together. I'll wait for another vulnerable moment and then I'll get him. So Jesus was all, so Satan was always kind of stalking around in the background, looking for an opportunity to bring Jesus's ministry to a, a premature end. Good morning, Pete. Good to see you, buddy. And uh, so, verse fourteen it says, "And Jesus returned in the power of the Spirit to Galilee." So he's conquered the devil. He's had some lunch, and now he's. he's in the power literally the power of the spirit is all over him and listen to this Jesus returned in the power of the spirit to Galilee and a, a report about him went through all the surrounding country and he taught in their synagogues being glorified to all he's so loaded There's a report literally going ahead of him around the countryside. There's like the bush telegraph is saying, well, Jesus is coming and he's loaded. He's full of the power of the Spirit. And so he teaches in the synagogue. And then verse 16 says, and he came to Nazareth. So he'd already been doing some preaching. And then he shows up in Nazareth, which is his hometown. Verse 16, he came to Nazareth where he had been brought up and as was his custom, he went to the synagogue on the Sabbath day. Now, the synagogue is where the Jews meet um, for their worship and to study the scriptures and they meet on the Sabbath, which is Saturday, and Jesus shows up and it's his custom to do that. So he's still a Jew. He shows up and does the, follows the Jewish traditions And he stands up to read because he's now kind of known a bit as a rabbi and someone who's, you know, kind of a credible person to do stuff in the synagogue. And the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was given to him. and the eyes of all in the synagogue were fixed on him. Verse 21, and he began to say to them, today this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. Now this is a big moment. There should be a drum roll as Jesus gets up and starts to read this. There should be a fanfare. And it's like Jesus is announcing his purpose and he's taken these we saw how john the baptist was fulfilling the words of the prophet isaiah where jesus also is and he takes this glorious scripture in isaiah 61 and he says this is why i'm here this is why i'm anointed the spirit of the sovereign lord the spirit of the lord god is on me because he's anointed me i am the messiah i am the anointed one the one who is set apart by the oil of the holy spirit all over me as a priest as a king and as the messiah which literally means anointed one now the word there for anointed is chrio which is where we get the word christos from which is in greek that is and that means anointed one so it's the same word so in my book the christing i take that and i try and kind of swap the word out anointing for Christing because I think it kind of helps us to really align our thinking with actually what it means to be anointed by the Holy Spirit it's the same Holy Spirit that works in us and empowers us as God's children and as believers in Jesus as empowered him Jesus himself which is or still does we could <laughs> maybe discuss that one at some point and so the spirit of the lord is upon me why because he's anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor he sent sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives recovering of sight to the blind so all these things he isn't saying at this point i've come to give my life to pay for sin but he's actually saying i'm coming to bring healing and restoration to the damage that is is been done to humanity by sin their own sin and the sins of others how it's impacted on their lives and caused pain and made them oppressed and so on and so on and so now he rolls up the scroll gives it back to the attendant says right today this scripture is literally fulfilled in your midst i'm the guy this is all happening in real time now everything isaiah prophesied is happening because i'm here you have to love it and so then verse 22 listen to this all spoke well of him and marveled at the gracious words that were coming from his mouth and they said is not this joseph's son and he said to them so right they're speaking well of him and then he says a few things and suddenly they're not Right, just listen. He says, Is not this Joseph's son? And he said to them, Doubtless you will quote me this proverb Physician, heal yourself. What we have heard you did in Capernaum, do here in your hometown as well. And he said, Truly, I say to you, no prophet is acceptable in his hometown. But in truth, I tell you that there were many widows in Israel in the days of Elijah when the heavens were shut up three years and six months and a great famine came over all the land. And Elijah was sent to none of them but only to Zarephath in the land of Sidon to a woman who was a widow. He's saying, listen guys, you're going to say, Ah, oh, we've heard you heal people and Capernaum and all these other places. Come and do it here. Do it in your hometown. And Jesus is saying, actually... It's hard for a prophet to show up in their hometown because they don't get honor here. And and that's precisely if you listen to what they were saying, they marvelled at his words and they said, Is not this Joseph's son? So they're not thinking this is the Messiah. They're pinning him down to being the son of a carpenter, and they're they're restricting their expectations of him down to his natural origins and his kind of childhood and so on and so they're not receiving him as a prophet they're just thinking oh isn't it nice how joseph's sons turned out he speaks so nicely in the synagogue and jesus is saying no listen actually there's something bigger going on here and but then he sort of halfway tantalizingly kind of answers a question or poses a question as to why god doesn't heal everyone Really, really interesting because this is a question that has bothered so many of us who believe in supernatural healing and miracles. Good morning, Raymond. Great to see you. Why doesn't God just heal everybody? Why doesn't the pastor or the healer or whoever it is go into the hospital and empty the hospital of all the sick people and so on and so on and so on. And they're really saying that to him. you know. Um, and Jesus is reading their minds. He says, I know what you're thinking, you guys. You're thinking, why don't you do it here? And then he says, well, actually, isn't it interesting? Have you even thought about it? That there were plenty of widows in need at the time of Elijah, but God sends Elijah to one widow and she's outside of the community. And then he says, verse 27 There were many lepers in Israel at the time of the prophet Elisha, and none of them was cleansed, but only Naaman the Syrian. This is difficult. This is winding them up because Naaman was a Syrian, not a Jew. And Jesus is saying, you know, in effect, why? Why do you think that... um, Elisha was sent to Naaman and not all the Jewish lepers who were in the community at the time. What's going on here? So he's saying, don't just have this linear way of viewing God where, you know, we can just like throw yourself off the temple type of thing. Oh, come on, then if you're a healer, heal me. You know, that kind of thing is. And but he's kind of hinting at a bigger purpose and a bigger understanding of the heart of God in the way God moves in this the does the supernatural healing type of thing. And I think actually although Jesus raises some interesting questions, I'm still left with questions. <laughs> even at the end of it. So he says, you know, he only healed Nahum in the Syrian. Verse 28, when they heard these things, all in the synagogue were filled with wrath. So they really were not very Their interest in Jesus was clearly only superficial. The minute he says anything slightly provocative, they're mad at him. Verse 29, they rose up and drove him out of the town and brought him to the brow of the hill on which their town was built so they could throw him down the cliff. But passing through their midst, he went away. I love it. Jesus is so much in the driving seat now. He's bashed the devil on the head and he gets up and he's declared his purpose, he's already been doing miracles, he's got things going on in other other regions, comes home, declares what his purpose and mission is, and in a few short minutes, they're trying to kill him, they literally want to push him off the cliff, can you believe that, after saying, oh he speaks so nicely, but passing through their midst, he went away. He's not bothered. That's not his time. That's not his moment. I'm sure the devil's among that crowd, agitating them and thinking, let's let's wrap it up now, shove him off the cliff. But he just passes through the midst unperturbed and gets on with his job. We would be posting, wouldn't we, on Instagram, oh, they nearly killed me today. They tried to throw me off a cliff. Jesus is like, whatever, gets on with his job and moves to goes off to Capernaum so verse 31 and he went down to Capernaum a city of Galilee and he was teaching them on the Sabbath and they were astonished at his teaching for his word possessed authority this is really important his word possessed authority what made his word possess authority he was preaching the word of God clearly he was preaching from the scripture he was giving it his Um, absolutely unique interpretation that he was privileged to do as the Son of God but they had the Bible these other guys had the Bible they'd they'd grown up with the Bible They, they were you know the Old Testament at any rate they'd grown up with the law and the prophets being taught every Sabbath in the home at the festivals everything else and yet Jesus's words carry authority because he is full Of the Holy Spirit. He's anointed with the Holy Spirit. And it's the Holy Spirit. Bringing the word. That gives it that authority. That gives it that bite. And that punch. That actually gives it transformational power. And so. His words possessed authority. Verse 33. And in the synagogue there was a man who had the spirit of an unclean demon. That's interesting. He had the spirit of an unclean demon. I I can't claim to understand All of this kind of stuff relating to demons. But, um, and he cried out with a loud voice, Ha! What have you to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. But Jesus rebuked him, saying, Be silent and come out of him. And when the demon had thrown him down in their midst, he came out of him, having done him no harm. And they were all amazed and said to one another, what is this word? For with authority and power, he commands the unclean spirits and they come out. And reports about him went out into every place in the surrounding region. That is amazing, isn't it? Jesus is not just bringing a nice message, he is confronting the powers of darkness and they react to him wherever he shows up so he shows up in the synagogue the holy you know the kind of respectable place of worship where all the God-fearing Jews are gathered habitually and in that place is a demon we should not be surprised if demons make it into church and therefore we need to be full of the spirit and able to deal with those things as and There is something about the man or woman of God carrying that authority that agitates the demons into kind of disclosing their whereabouts. And then you can nail the suckers. But I love it. Jesus, again, is not phased by that. It's just one word and this demon comes out. And that's enough to spread again this reputation of Jesus around the region because... They were used to demonised people. They'd seen that before, people affected by demons. But they obviously got used to them living in the community. And I think, to be honest, in Britain and in the Western world, we do get used to that. And we get used to those people whose lives are controlled by demons. And we need to be moving in that power and authority of the spirit that just precipitates a showdown without us kind of... Trying to engineer it. Verse 38 And he arose and left the synagogue and entered Simon's house. Now, Simon's mother in law was ill with a high fever, and they appealed to him on her behalf. And he stood over her and rebuked the fever, and it left her. And immediately she rose and began to serve them. So, these people are different because they are receiving him as a man of God, they're receiving him as a healer and they say can you do something for Simon's mother-in-law and you know they're coming to to him with a genuine request and Jesus rebukes the fever it's interesting that he rebukes the fever it's like it's not a person it's a thing it's an illness it's a symptom of an illness but Jesus rebukes it nonetheless like he rebukes the wind and the waves in another story doesn't he and tells them to be quiet and there's something about that authority of Jesus that he can rebuke and what we might say inanimate object and bring the bring the situation to a close verse 40 it says so she was so well she got up and began to serve them it wasn't like oh you're feeling a lot better well done we'll hope you feel better tomorrow but actually she's up and about and everything's fine she's doing the things she does around the house again which is amazing isn't it verse 40 it says now when the sun was setting all those who had any who were sick with various diseases brought them to him and he laid his hands on every one and of them and they were healed and demons also came out of many crying you are the son of god but he rebuked them and would not allow them to speak because they knew he was the Christ and when it was day he departed so this meeting this healing meeting has gone on all night in in um, Simon's house literally they get to hear about this miracle with Simon's mother-in-law and anybody who had anyone who was sick with various things and demonic issues as well they all come and Jesus lays his hands on Everyone. Now, you can imagine Luke, the doctor, looking at this thinking, Oh my, these kind of people I would have to send away and they would come back to me again and again until they had no more money because I would be unable to heal them. I'd be unable to offer them anything in my medicine box or in my knowledge of the human body. I would be unable to do anything for them and Jesus is literally putting his hands on them and I think when Luke says he healed everyone, then we can safely say this is a systematic account. Luke is not exaggerating. He's just saying Jesus healed every single one by putting his hands on them. That's what he did. That was his methodology at that particular time, that particular meeting. Verse 42. And when it was day, he departed and went to a desolate place. I should imagine he needed some space. And the people sought him And came to him and would have kept him from leaving them. But he said to them, I must preach the good news of the kingdom of God to the other towns as well. For I was sent for this purpose and he was preaching in the synagogues of Judea. Isn't that incredible? I just want to pray, Jesus, will you come among us? Will you do that very same thing? Even if it's all night meetings, Lord, we just want to see you in the room, healing every single person who comes with every disease, every demonic manifestation. Jesus, we want to see you doing the thing that you do so beautifully in the scripture. We want to see you doing that among us in here, in India, wherever we are, Lord God. Just come in Jesus' name. Amen. Have a wonderful day, everyone. Take care. I am super excited to be able to recommend to you my book, The Christing. It's a whole adventure of digging deep into the Bible, Old Testament, New Testament, exploring stories that may be familiar to us, but just seeing how the power and the beautiful rich treasure of the Holy Spirit is there on every single page. And my desire as I share my own stories is that we would get caught up in that adventure together of a life pursuing the supernatural God where anything becomes possible when we're full of his Holy Spirit. And so my prayer for you as you read this book is that you'll get excited to embark on your own voyage of discovery with him. But more than anything else, that you would fall more in love with Jesus. So please, if you have not got a copy, do buy one. You can get it online on all the major um, online bookstores, including Amazon and Eden and others. You can buy it from Christian bookshops, or you can message me and get your own signed copy there you go but do like it and review it because that really really does help thank you so much